Well, the last two weeks leading up to this week, we've been looking at different ways that we can be seeing something and not see it and how so many times the Lord is at work around us and for some reason we can't see him. And we're continuing that today. And today, one of the things that we're looking at is the fact that there are a lot of people that they just can't see the Lord at work in their lives and around them because they refuse to believe what they don't understand completely. Now, why that has to do with Christianity and hardly anything else, I have no idea. But I run across people all the time that they have all these questions that keep them from just diving in with both feet into the Christian faith and just living the life that they know really deep down the Lord has for them to live. They have questions about, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Can you really believe the Bible? And they've got all these questions that are really, as far as I'm concerned, a smokescreen to the fact that they really just don't want to earnestly and seriously seek him and seek his face and find out if he's real or not. It's like they're afraid that they might have to give up their good time, quote unquote, if they really commit to him. And the story that we read today uh, has to do with something like that. But uh, in connection with this, uh, uh, this fact that people are so hesitant to commit completely to the Lord, saying that they don't understand things, let's face it, we live joyfully in a world we do not completely understand. We walk in the light that we have and we utilize things the way we know how to use them. How many of you understand everything about how an automobile works? I mean everything. The transistors and everything. Let's see your hands. How many of you travel in automobiles? Let's see your hands. Yeah, almost 100%. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you see, and uh, before you drive, if you waited till you knew how to have everything and understood everything about an automobile before you drove one, hardly anybody would be driving an automobile. And yet we drive them every day. And we operate on assumptions from what we've just learned already. I had a situation, I think it was yesterday, where uh, one of my teenage grandchildren was talking about whether they wanted they should take a shower before or after they went out and sunbathed for a while. My little three-year-old grandson was there and he said, you don't take a bath in the daytime or you take, you don't shower in the daylight. You know, with him in life, showers were for before you went to bed. That's all he's known. He lives out of it. That's the way life is. And so you see, we do this. We live out of, the, out of what we know. And this is just it. Uh, when it comes to the Christian faith, you need to understand that you do this in the rest of life. You need to try it with the Christian faith as well. And the main thing I want to get across to you is you don't have to understand everything in order to believe something. 
Let's face it. So, uh, but uh, anyway, in this story that we read, we and you've got a little handout if you want to follow along. Uh, in, in the first uh, few verses, we see uh, these words. And Jesus went along. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, they were of the impression that if something was wrong, then you did something wrong, that uh, God was punishing you. And somehow this young man or this man was being punished for something that either he or his parents had done. Now, notice it said that he was born blind. And so this is a shadowy uh, hint that uh, and you see it in Scripture that back then there was a kind of a shadowy thinking that maybe there was such a thing as reincarnation. It's not so, but they were th- the, the, the reasoning was, and I don't know how they came to this, but uh, that if uh, the parents were righteous and hadn't done anything wrong, then he must have done something in a former life or something or thought a bad thought before he was born, you know. So, uh, but anyway, but somehow somebody had to have done something wrong for him to have been born blind. Now, I, I love his answer because this answer gives us so much hope and it begins to help us to see the world in a new perspective because let's face it, there are a lot of people uh, that really, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, well, you know, if you've got something wrong in your life, God's punishing you. You've got kids on drugs, well, you must not have raised them right. You've got a, 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 a problem in your marriage, uh, then it must be that you've done something wrong, you know. If uh, and uh, there's just all these different th- presumptions that uh, if something's going wrong in your life, you've done something wrong. Well, Jesus says neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, that in and of itself may cause people to get kind of concerned because then they're starting to think, so God's going to put bad stuff on us just so that he can look good. And that's not what's going on here. You see, there has been a conflict going on between Satan and God before time ever really got going good. In the Garden of Eden, it begins to manifest itself. And uh, uh, at that time, you see God trying to, or you see Satan starting to try to mess up God's perfect world. And he was able to sow seeds of doubt and uh, uh, seeds of unbelief into the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve and caused them to sin. When that happened, this world was no longer perfect. It was imperfect. We have been in an imperfect world ever since. As we look through scripture, we see that the enemy is still continuing to try to mess up God's creation and mess up God's people. And, uh, and that's why Jesus, one of the reasons he came, he says, 
The thief comes but to kill and to steal and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I came that they might have life and have it how? Abundantly. A good life. A full life. There's a, whenever uh, Peter is talking to Cornelius' household, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We live in a world where there is an enemy at work. And Jesus said, in this world, in this imperfect world, in this world where Satan is still around, you're going to have tribulation. But then he says what? But fear not, for I have overcome the world. And so uh, we see that uh, there's this tension between the imperfections of this world that cause a lot of grief and pain and sorrow and illness and things like that. But then we see this ray of light where Jesus has come into this imperfect world to make a difference in the lives of those who are willing to receive him. And uh, this makes you remember the story of, the, of tares and wheat where and this is the, this is what we're talking about. There, Jesus tells the parable of a field that was sown with wheat. And then it says the enemy came in and the enemy sowed tares among the wheat. And the workers told the uh, uh, the owner of the field, you got tares in your wheat. We need to get all these tares out. And the owner of the field said, no, 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 no. Don't disturb the tares because in doing so, you're going to hurt the wheat. It's allow the tares and the wheat to come up together. And then we'll take care of the tares when we harvest the wheat. You remember whatever Jesus says that uh, the Lord causes uh uh, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This is the sort of thing that he's talking about. You see, the tares wind up being taken care of along with the wheat right now because God is looking out for the wheat. He's looking out for the wheat. And those who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior and have hearts that are open to God, they're the wheat. Now, the good news is you may be a tear right now, but you can be transformed into wheat. And for those of us who are wheat, that's what God's goodness is poured out on this world for. For those of you who have come to know him and he puts up with a lot from the tares in order to make sure that he winds up with as much wheat in his storehouse as possible. Remember back on Easter, I talked about the fact that I have a reservation and you, every one of you who has received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a reservation. You have a room waiting for you in heaven. Well, the thing is, the tares have a reservation too. It says that the tares will be thrown into the fire. So, 
There's a reservation for the tares and there's a reservation for the wheat. And the thing is, we have a choice as to whether we're going to wind up being tares or wheat. But once you become wheat, then so much good opens up before you in this world. And so we see this struggle going on between Satan and God and God and God's people being attacked. And so uh, Jesus says, this didn't happen because anybody sinned. This happened so that God could be glorified. And that's whenever something's going wrong in your life, if you're his, that's the way you ought to look at it. Not, oh no, I've got something horrible going on. Instead, here's an opportunity for God to be glorified through me. And if you see somebody else with something going wrong in their life, it's your opportunity to help them to realize God's goodness in their lives. We should be some of the most optimistic people in the world. Now, let's face it, many times whenever somebody uh, uh, something hits somebody, they consider it a setback. But many times the things that you consider a setback are really a setup. It's where uh, Satan is being set up to be defeated one more time and for God to show forth his power over Satan in this world. I mean, just look back through uh, uh, scripture and you see uh, uh, Joseph. Joseph, uh, he was his daddy's favorite. And then he winds up being thrown into that pit and uh, uh, his daddy told he's dead. He winds up being sold into slavery. That really looks like a setback, but it was a setup so that he could wind up in Potiphar's house. And then he winds up being uh, 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 something bad happens to him in Potiphar's house and he winds up in prison. Setback or set up? He wound up being a set up so he could wind up in prison so he could meet the proper people so that ultimately through all of this, he winds up being second in command in all of Egypt and through him, God's people being preserved through a tough, tough time. So what looks like a setback, if you're a person of faith, becomes a setup for God to be glorified. If you're facing some major illness, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. If you're looking out on this world and you're seeing how tough it's getting and you're seeing how things seem to be getting worse and worse, God is setting something up and it's going to be good in the end. Well, uh, it reminded me, all this stuff reminded me of a story about a, a mule and uh, the mule's owner had had to dig something. He, he dug a deep hole for some reason and the mule stumbled and fell into this deep hole and uh, he brayed and brayed and uh, made all sorts of noise. They came out and he was so far down in this hole and the farmer realized he's going to have to hire a winch or a hoist or something to come get this mule out of this hole. And he started thinking, well, you know, I'm through with this hole. I need to fill it in. This mule's no spring chicken. I guess it's going to be a lot cheaper and better for me just to bury this mule in this hole. So, uh, he got some of his friends, and uh, so they started just shoveling dirt into the hole to bury the mule. Well, the mule's down there in the hole, 
His back gets covered up with dirt. He shakes it off and steps up on the dirt. They keep on shoveling dirt. Gets on his back. He shakes it off and steps up. Shakes it off and steps up. Ultimately, he steps out of the hole. What looked like it was so terrible and what looked like was going to have a horrible end wound up working out just fine. And so many times in life, that's the way it is with us. And uh, we should just have this, this attitude toward life whenever something tough hits. God, how are you going to handle this? How are you going to get me out of this one? With anticipation and excitement, not, oh, no, but with, a, with, with just a joy that God's going to do something again. That should be the way we approach these things. I ran across another story that kind of reminded me of this. It was about a little boy. He was the most optimistic little boy in the world. So much so that it made his father sick. He just couldn't stand. He always saw the glass half full. He always saw something good was going to come out of something. And so finally, his dad decided he was going to teach him a lesson. And so he took him out to the barn for his birthday and said, well, son, here's your birthday present. And he opened, the boy opened up the door and there was a barn filled, the floor just covered with horse manure. And that was it. Whole barn full of manure. The little boy looks around. He gets this just smile of glee on his face. And he runs in there and starts digging around in the horse manure. And uh, he's just so excited digging around in this manure. And his father can't believe it. He says, son, what you doing? He said, with all this horse manure around here, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> he was just eternally optimistic. Now then, that's where the story I read ends. But in real life, we wind up with situations like this, don't we? Where there are people that try to uh, discourage us in life, try to discourage us in our faith, try to put us down and make us live a defeated life. And, uh, and, and so and these are the times whenever things are look, could look bleak, and the Lord will help you to see there's more to the story. You see, like if this if this little boy is the Lord's Lord's kid, he may just give this little boy the revelation. Hey, you know what? This is manure. This is valuable fertilizer. There are people that will pay good money for this stuff. And he may lead that little boy to somebody that needs it for his farm. And sell, wind up selling that manure for more than a pony would cost, you see? And so, uh, what, what do you see what I'm getting at? Is that sometimes things can look bad and sometimes things can be meant for bad. But God, as we follow His guidance and His leading, He can turn them into something good. Over and over again, I've seen this in my own life and I hope that you can see it in yours. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, moving on, it said that uh, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, he, there's, there's this man born blind. He wants to receive his sight. So Jesus spit on the ground, made some, some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. It says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. 
Now, one of the little things we pick up there is the fact that we don't uh, have to understand everything to be blessed. We just need to be obedient. You don't have to understand. I'm sure he didn't understand what was going on when he heard Jesus spit. And then when he felt mud being stuck in his eyes. But even though he didn't understand what was going on, he trusted Jesus enough to know that if he obeyed, something good was come about. So he did. And he came home seeing. Well, then it gets really, really interesting. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then are your eyes open, they demanded. And uh, then they brought, to, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. A second time they summoned the man uh, who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You've got to ask the question whenever you really look at what's going on here. Who is really blind here? Who's really blind? The man was physically blind. Yes, he was. But now then he can physically see. And something wonderful has happened to him. And you would think that people would be wanting to throw a party for him. But nobody's happy for him. Do you notice that? Nobody is astounded at this wonderful miracle that God has brought about. Instead, they are just, it's, it's just you see, it's not fitting their way of looking at things. And since it's not fitting their way of seeing things, then it must not be so. No, this can't be him. Jesus can't be of God because they've got their own little tunnel vision going. They only see life through one prism. They only can see God working in the ways that they choose to see him working. And they miss out on the wonder of what's going on before them. Sometimes we can miss out so much on the wonder that's going on around us and the wonder that the Lord wants to do in us and through us because of our own blindness. Well, the Pharisees, they could see clearly physically but they were blind spiritually and emotionally. And this is one of the things that I'm so grateful for. You know, uh, the first church that Sharon and I were privileged to serve was a charismatic Methodist church. I mean, we saw people slain in the spirit. We heard people give messages in tongues at uh, board meetings. I mean, it was a place like I had never been. I just grew up in a, in a, in a regular traditional Methodist church. Then 
I have this Damascus Road experience where I come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and I've known that there's more to this God stuff than I've ever known before. And uh, then the Lord puts me in the middle of all these people that are doing things that I'd been told just didn't happen anymore. God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't do this anymore. All this stuff died out with the apostles. And here are miracles taking place. People are calling this church from Chicago, asking people to pray for for them and the Lord's answering prayers. I mean, it was an incredible place to be. But I wondered about every one of these spiritual gifts. I wondered about everything I saw happening. But if it was of God, I wanted it. If it was not, I did not. And so every one of these different aspects of the gifts of the Spirit and things like that, I would have to research them. I'm so glad I was in seminary at the time. I mean, I poured through books. I, I did all sorts of stuff, you know, just and, and, and I had to come to the conclusion this was all of God. I had been brought up in a religious box. And I was keeping God in a box because of the box that I had grown up in. And there was so much going on all around me. And there was spiritual activity going on all around me. And I was totally blind to it. And the Lord was gracious to open my eyes. My prayer for you today is uh, that the Lord will open your eyes to the fact that uh, there's much more to this world and this life than you may have even seen so far. And if you will open your heart toward Him and His Word, it is incredible what you might find and what you might experience in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you at this time, we pray that uh, uh, you would just remove any blindness from our spiritual eyes, that you would help us to see our relationship with you as it really is. Help us to see your word in ways that we've never seen it before. Help us to uh, just uh, uh, see things as you would have us see them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.